Hey there, if you're listening to this and you support us on Patreon, you can hear it via the Patreon page and free. One, two, tres, cuatro. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we talk with author Marissa Moss about the state of women in country music. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, we review some new music from Santi Gold and Sudan Archives. It's a track called High Priestess from the new Santi Gold album, Spirituals, her first one in uh, quite some time. It's been... Uh, Six years, I a, believe. A big break for, for Santi Gold. Um, Santi White, originally known as a Philadelphia artist, began working in the music industry as a talent scout, Jim, and mm. then as a songwriter in the 1990s. She uh, was both a producer and a songwriter for a really great album, in uh, 2001 by an artist named Reese, who I never felt got enough love. But if you listen to that Reese album in 2001, another Philly artist, you get a sense of where Santi Gold is coming from as a, as, a, as a songwriter and a singer in her own right. She shifted into performing with a punk band named Stift for a number of albums and then went solo uh, with her 2008 debut album, Santo Gold. She had to change to Santi Gold soon after because apparently there was another artist using a similar yeah. uh, type of name. Who we've so never heard from since. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem to ma- have mattered. But that, that, that record uh, made a, a, a giant impression. And uh, she has been releasing albums, oh, and about it every four to six-year clip uh, ever since. Each one uh, showing a diversity of musical styles, expanding the reach um, I, you know, in some ways, I feel like she was at the very forefront of creating that blend of rap, pop, and dance floor club music yeah. that has become, uh, you know, uh, ubiquitous on the pop charts uh, now. But she was way ahead of the game in, in 2008. Uh, the new album is called Spirituals. We're going to play a track from it before we review it. Uh, it's called Fall First from Santi Gold on Sound Opinions. Fall first from the new Santi Gold album, Spirituals. Uh, Greg, left out in your brief introduction, is she reached uh, uh, many more people than she had in the past by appearing on those two Tyler, the Creator albums in 2018-2019. I love this album. It's short. Ten songs long. The name indicates her inspiration uh, that she's drawing from African-American folk song, gospel music, traditional music of the church and of the community. Recorded during COVID, when Mm. everybody was reaching for inspiration, 
that's where Santi Gold found hers. I think, I, I don't want to tip my hand about our second review, but both of these reviews today are by uh, really strong African-American women who uh, refuse to recognize genre boundaries. Mm-hmm. Santi Gold, since she was told, uh, she has said, by someone in the music industry in her earlier punk days that a black woman was never going to make it in punk, yeah. uh, that she, she has been spitting in the face of uh, all genre constrictions. So in the space sometimes of, of a single verse, we are hopping from you know indie pop to electronic dance music, reggae to to rock and hints of that gospel music um you know the message is inspiring people suffering down and down we keep shuffling the sound is inspiring her voice is is energizing and uh, i don't think she's ever made a bad move but this album is really welcome now yeah but you're right about the the, the genre Mixing, she's been doing that from the start, uh, way ahead of that game, as I said, and uh, it continues here. Uh, there's no letdown in the creativity. The the reason for calling the album spiritual, she talked about the whole idea of, uh, you know, gospel music being such yeah. a vital part of the black experience in America, uh, enslaved people getting through horrifying conditions. You know, basically, as she said, songs that got black people through the ungetthroughable. Uh, this is her yeah. version of sort of, you know, continuing that tradition. Um, you know, she's there's been a number of barriers that she's faced. You know, as a woman, as a a person of color, but also as you said, as an artist who's really not really fitting into anybody's pigeonhole no. in the music industry. Uh, she's carved out this kind of space for herself that has been copied by a lot of other artists more successfully on the charts. But I don't think there's a better songwriter. Uh, working, uh, you know, in that realm the last couple decades than Santi Gold. And this just continues that tradition. When you think of about a song like Shake, you know, I won't buckle under pressure, I'll be mm-hmm. all right, you know, the whole idea of getting through it. We don't got to wonder, it all comes in time. I won't buckle under pressure, I'm gonna be all right. The whole importance of body music, you know, you know, feeling yourself, uh, uh, being able to express yourself uh, in an uninhibited way uh, at the club. The club is the corollary to the church, where black people could be themselves. They could be who they were, express themselves freely without feeling like they're being constantly judged for who they were. And talking about pain and endurance with humor uh, is not to wallow in the misery, but but to find catharsis in the joyful music no, that it's paired with. Absolutely, and, and it's all here. She acknowledges the struggle, and this is the way to get through it. If I cut my hair, hope I grow it long, back long, back time like way before. If I wear it straight, will they like me more? Like those girls on front covers. Long hair, make them stay little longer. Stay hair, stay straight, though we feel the shape. By the curls, waves, and natural things. Curls, waves, and natural things. That is a little bit of a track called Selfish Soul from the new album by Sudan Archives. That's how she says it on the on one song, Greg. Sudan. Uh, Natural Brown Prom Queen is the title of the second full album from Brittany Parks. 
she is the last artist we had in a live performance and mm, interview right. before the pandemic, literally a week before the whole world shut down back in 2020. And uh, now she's delivering her second record. You know, she's a violinist, uh, among mm-hmm. many other things. Grew up in Ohio, Cincinnati. Her dad worked for L.A. Reed and Babyface at LaFace Records. Uh, initially had uh, his daughter in a kiddie group called N2. There's a song on this album that reflects on that time of being put into a cookie-cutter mold that she has spent the rest of her career uh, actively rejecting. Mm-hmm. Um in addition to the pizzicato violin, uh, we, we have all sorts of other elements. Let's just play a song, and then we'll give our thoughts. This is the track Sierra, uh, which i got to play because it's a shout-out to Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, Sudan has a uh, cousin in Chicago who will slap you in the face. <laughs> I don't think she's talking about us, but uh, uh, here is Sudan Archives from Natural Brown Prom Queen. If you wanna spray it, say it to my face If if you're feeling brave I got a cousin in Chicago Who got homies from the way They'll shrek you in your face A certain type of fellow Who will pull up on you now Do you get the picture now? Two ways, two face That is Sierra from the new Sudan Archives record, Natural Brown Prom Queen. Jim, you you had alluded to this earlier about the genre hopping on the yeah. Santi Gold record as well as this one. Uh, it's it's really kind of stunning. I think one of the reasons we we wanted uh, you know Sudan on the show uh, when she was just finishing up that tour for the previous record. Fortunately, mm-hmm. we got her just in time before yeah. before things went south uh, with the with the uh, live uh, music world yeah, COVID and everything else crisis. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this whole idea of, you know, sh- you mentioned uh, the last song uh, referencing Chicago. You know, here's a woman from Cincinnati who is, uh, who is um, you know, living in, in, in Southern California, but also absorbing a lot of music from uh, African cultures. Um, mm-hmm. She's uh, the violin playing is very inspired by West African music. Right. Um, she's kind of, she's she's a student of, of the world. And, you know, to me, the whole idea of home is, is vital to this record. Where is home? In that song, Homemaker, at the very start, I think the message she's sending is home is wherever you are at that time. Yeah, you know? where you feel you belong. I think there's a new generation of young people who are experiencing the world in a very different way than their predecessors have, you know? And, mm. and for her, you know, this whole idea of, like, being confined to a region or a genre is just a foreign subject she's she's grown up as a child of the world almost yeah. from the start you know and her uh, that has led to this music that is incredibly diverse i mean i'm hearing you know six or seven genres being referenced in every song that she's done here oh yeah and to me the really difficult part about this record that she somehow manages to pull off despite the fact that this record seems to be all over the place She's still creating these songs out of it, coherent songs. Yeah. So she's not struggling to mix and match. She's, in fact, very comfortable uh, with that whole area. You know, the one example I'll use is that OMG Brit, Oh My God Brit. Yeah. Uh, It's a trap hip-hop song. It may be the first... uh, trap rap song that I've heard with a zither on it. You know, it's like, okay, well, where is that coming from? Right, twisting up what I say to you. The mess doesn't think I should have put my hands on you. A choke hug and a tug would have done you good. They never would have thought to 
the instrumentation from these really sophisticated uh, violin loops to, you know... Yeah. Analog hand claps. I mean, I mean, she's she's high tech. She's low tech. Um, you know, in the song Chevy S10, we have a six minute, what could have been a progressive rock song with right. all these different movements. No genre boundaries. A, a wicked sense of humor. NBPQ topless is a, a, a really funny uh, rejection of her youth in the that teen uh, pop duo N2, mm-hmm. where she just wants to let it all hang out. Yeah, right. You know, that's what she wanted then. That's what she wants now. And she wanted a bazooki on that song for, yeah, and, and, <laughs> for whatever reason. It, it sounds great. The bazooki spoke yeah. to her. I just am so inspired by these artists who refuse to recognize genre, but at the end of the day uh, are great songwriters. And, and you know, we can sit here and pick it apart like a like an excellent uh, meal, you know, by, yeah. by a superstar chef. Is that is that saffron? Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, or I can just turn it up and have fun. No, exactly. It's, you don't have to do this forensic dive into all these different instruments, exotic instruments, because they all, she makes it sound very, very seamless. That is what we thought of the new albums by Santi Gold and Sudan Archives, and now we want to hear from you. Leave us a voice message with your opinions on our website, soundopinions.org. Coming up, we're going to talk with author Marissa Moss about her new book, Her Country. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back. If you're a regular listener to this show, you probably know plenty about the many, many amazing female artists that uh, are making country music today. We certainly are fans of many of them. But if you're only getting your information from the country music industry and the radio establishment in that genre, you might not even know these artists exist. That's right, Jim. Our guest today, Marissa Moss, has a great new book on the phenomenon called Her Country. In that book, uh, she focuses on three artists, Maren Morris, Mickey Guyton, and Casey Musgraves, uh, three artists that we've talked about extensively on the show. She discusses the challenges they faced and overcame uh, in the last decade. And I began our conversation by asking why she chose those three artists in particular to focus on. I chose those three because they all have very different paths to unconventional success in country music. but they're also all three from Texas and kind of a, you know, a relatively close geographic area. Um, and that gave me a kind of fine tuned way to examine their careers in ways that were kind of like comparing and contrasting with the common denominator of being Texas artists and making that same journey to Nashville around the same time. And also in Texas, you have Miranda Lambert coming from Texas. You have the chicks, you have, I mean, hell, you have Beyonce and Lizzo. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) something something going on there. Um, And my dad lived in Texas for many years and I have, you know, I spent summers there, you know, so I have a, I have a connection, kind of a fascination with it. Well, in Texas with the reputation, uh, right, Marissa, of being the alternative Nashville, the anti-Nashville, the outlaw. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't come out exactly where it's, you know, the first half is Texas and the second half is Nashville, of course. But, you know, I wanted to have a bit of that 
dual life. And I kind of wanted to say and have this subtext in there of talking about talking about Texas in a way that is really reflected in what's going on kind of in our conversation right now. You know, if you look, yeah. you know, even politically in the way that people will kind of dismiss Texas and say, you know, these terrible bills or something will come across and people will say, oh, you know, well, everyone in Texas deserved that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wanted to kind of have that exploration into Texans and Southerners and country music fans being far more than people often dismiss them as being. That yeah, we all have loved ones in Texas who are not thinking like the people in the Texas State House. Right, exactly. And same here as Nashville, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are iconoclastic artists, no doubt. And Texas is known. I mean, you know, let's go back to Willie Nelson, right? You know, I mean, iconoclasts seem to grow there, despite what people may think they know about Texas. But it's interesting to me, your book sort of addresses a subject that I think is... Um, you know, th there's a systemic problem in country music, and it probably could be said of just about anything in our society, but it's certainly true in country music. The good old boys club is going to run things. And there are moments, you begin in the book in a moment where there seemed to be a breakthrough. There had been a number of a cluster of women artists, the then Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks, uh, Faith Hill, uh, Leanne Rimes, uh, who were, you know, big country hits, Shania Twain. Uh, and then it went away. You know, the bubble burst, you know, and now we're back to the good old boys club well, and, well, and Guyton and, and Morris and Musgraves are sort of fighting through that. A startling statistic that Marissa reports that should frame this entire conversation. A mere 16% of the country airwaves is devoted to female artists. 16%! <laughs> yeah, and that's actually the high estimation. Um, so sometimes it's, you know, different, there's been a bunch of you know, different statistics, mostly done by a really great, uh, data scientist at a canon named Dr. Jada Watson. She found mm. a lot of times it's 10%. But yeah. I'm, but I'm interested in that fluctuation. Like there'll be times where it's proven that women can have hits that'll cross, you know, cross many genre lines and become embraced by the, by the public in a massive way, but it doesn't stick. It should have proven that women more than deserve uh, their place at the table, right? And yet that never really seems to happen. Why do you think that is? Man, I mean, it's a lot of reasons. I mean, I think when that period was happening in the late 90s, um, mid to late 90s, you know, when most people think of country music of that era, you think of women, you know, with the exception of maybe Garth Brooks, if you don't really, if you're not a super country fan, you think of the women you mentioned, Faith Hill, Shania Twain, the chicks. I mean, I think it was scary for a lot of people. And I think, you know, there are a lot of elements. It's a really long answer. And I guess that's in part why I wrote the book. But I mean, you have consolidation happening around, you know, rampant consolidation happening around that time you lead into 9-11 when you have sort of this um, emergence of patriotic nationalistic country songs. Mm, yeah, um, jingoism. That, yeah, jingoism. Female ballad doesn't really work up against a song about putting a boot in a terrorist's ass, you know, on a playlist. It's yeah, just, you know, yeah. it's kind of weird programming. And then you have what happened with the chicks and speaking out against the war in Iraq. There are a lot of elements that were just kind of stewing to make people skeptical of women, 
to let them indulge their already pre-existing misogyny. But I mean, in a more concrete way that the more that you reduce the amount of times that people hear women on country radio, the less familiar it becomes. And therefore people don't react as well to women's voices when you actually do hear it. So we have kind of created this, this myth that, you know, programmers will tell you, oh, women don't like listening to women or people turn the dial when they hear women on country radio. And to some degree, we've created that scenario to be true because radio is all about what's familiar. You know, you're in the car, you're like, you know, vacuuming with your earbuds in or whatever you want to hear stuff that's familiar. And if you're not familiar with women's songs, then you're not going to re maybe respond as well to it. It's not like some predisposed genetic, like, you know, disgust towards like high pitched women's voices or like whatever people want to tell you. But it is like that we, you know, we've created this culture of scarcity so much that, you know, women aren't getting those results that maybe make people feel empowered to play them more. And yet it's so antithetical to the history of country music. You know, early in the book, uh, Marissa, you give us you give us the list. You know, Mother Maybelle Carter, mm -hmm. all right, and Dolly Parton, and Loretta Lynn, and Patsy Cline, and Bobby Gentry, and Tammy Wynette, and Tanya Tucker. Uh, uh, you know, it, it was always part and parcel of the development of this music. I was so glad to have some of my biases confirmed, because I always question myself. <laughs> I, I've always been anti-Nashville industry, right? Pro country music, the real stuff, starting with the Carter family, you know, and, and ending with, you know, Amanda Shires, okay? Um, and it's like, man, but but the stuff they turn out as product, and you, you paint this portrait of the sort of ingrained toxic masculinity, it's like, oh, it wasn't just me. <laughs> You're documenting it. I'm not, uh, you know, biased against Nashville, I'm biased against that industry. You you know, make the point that it's an inherently conservative mindset. Uh, you know, it's Republican, and, and it doesn't seem to be women uh, so much that they have a problem with in general. It's women who speak their minds. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what you call uh, coming to be Dixie-chicked and, and, and explain how it, when Natalie Maines makes this comment, you know. We're ashamed the President of the United States is from Texas in the middle of the run-up to what is now documented as an unjust war in London, all right? And then the, the chicks get banned everywhere. Um, you say that the Nashville industry actually was relieved. I think so, in some ways. I know that's kind of a, you know, a big statement, I guess. I mean, but the really interesting thing I found, and it was a, a, kind of a suspicion I had before I started writing this book, was that if it wasn't that incident it would have been something else so there was just this kind of like bubbling i think kind of fear of such powerful outspoken women being the you know kind of the biggest product of the genre at that yeah. time you know they were they were in country music but they were also at lilith fair you know in crop tops right. and right. like yeah that's scary for nashville <laughs> yeah, i think <laughs> you know and like you know, they were, Natalie Maines was kind of getting in, you know, kerfuffles with Toby Keith even before that statement came out. And I I went back through old issues of Gossipy Country Magazine and there were like these lists of like, you know, times the Dixie Chicks have like opened their mouth too much or something, but that was before yeah, yeah. the incident mm -hmm. on stage. 
So that was already happening. Like there are people already just kind of ready to pounce. Well, I think. You know, yeah. The thing about your book is that it highlights the fact that, you know, you'd almost feel like it's this dark secret, but it's not a secret. Like the, the radio programmer who said the quiet part out loud, you know, explain to Gate. I thought, I'm glad you brought that story up because it's <laughs> just, he really said that, right? Yeah, he like, I mean, and the crazy thing, and I'll, I'll give the quick tomato gate explanation for, for your listeners who don't know, but there's a, you know, in country music, as there is in, in all genres, there are these radio consultants you can hire to basically help you program your station and all that. And one of them was doing an interview with a trade, and he said that you know, women are the tomatoes in the salad of country music, meaning you want to use them sparingly in the lettuce of the Luke Bryan. And, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, plop a few sliced tomatoes on there and everyone was really mad outside I was called you know tomato gate people were outraged and I felt kind of funny in that time because yeah the guy who said it he sucks but, <laughs> but I mean that's sort of like you said he said the quiet part out loud like it was kind of ridiculous to see people mad at him when he was only saying what has been the truth right for so long in the way that so many people program or the labels who were like outraged at it, but yet, you know, weren't pushing their female artists mm -hmm. to country radio with, you know, the same kind of promo budget because they know that to be true. Like it was very bizarre. Like you should be mad at the problem, not what he said. You know, he was saying what all of you do in practice, mm -hmm. you know, it was a very strange thing. And in some ways I'm almost relieved that it happened. Because, you know, he said it out loud and then we could talk yeah, about right. it. Yeah. Marissa Moss, we are talking to uh, the author of Her Country, incredibly important book and great book to read. Uh, and Marissa's my hero. Boy, boy, you're just, you're, oh. you're as frank talking. You, you admit in, in your <laughs> afterward uh, that after you wrote for the first time your first heavy duty piece on uh, the sexism in country music, the country music industry, different than country music. Um, you you uh, were afraid you might get run out on a rail from Nashville, which hasn't happened yet, you write, but there's still time. Now the book's out. <laughs> <laughs> Are they at your door, Marissa? I don't know. Everyone's been a little quiet. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the funny thing is that has always happened. I mean, it happens whether I put out, you know, I... I publish an article, or I write a book, or I say something on Twitter, I'll get all these texts from people being like, oh, you love what you said, you know, from people yeah. in the Nashville music industry. Here. We love you. Know, so glad you said that. But none of them will say anything publicly. Mm. They like to just kind of tell me on the sly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's kind of worse. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like the, you know, showing up at the you know, working for the Trump administration, but like trying to whisper that you voted for Obama. That doesn't make me feel better right, right. about it. You know, <laughs> I'm still here. Yeah. But Well, you know, my, my late friend Chrissy Dickinson wrote a lot about country and uh, she told me early on that there was this the circle the wagons approach. If you weren't down with the program, suddenly, you know, your invitations to shows, your, your you know, your product to review, you know, slowed to a trickle. You didn't get in, you got denied interviews because you're a hatchet woman, you know, those kind of attitudes crop up. So it seems like a very insular society. But one of the things that I'm noticing, Marissa, it, it seems like uh, the country scene is a little slower, in, you know, in terms of the industry. 
in terms of being where, say, pop music is or indie music is, in terms of radio isn't the only game in town anymore. But it still seems like commercial radio plays a really important role in breaking country songs. Like, if you're going to make it in that genre, you need to have the mainstream terrestrial radio stations behind you. Is that true still? Is it starting, it's not frittering away at all? That influence? I mean, it isn't. If you're talking about a certain kind of success, I think it's surprising for people because if you talk to folks who don't listen to country music regularly, they'll be like, why are you so concerned with radio? Mm -hmm. Like, I haven't turned on the radio in like 10 years, you know. Um, And in country music, it's still so important. One, because Nashville is so slow to change and so resistant to change. Two, radio is, you know, there are country fans all over. I know that to be a fact, you know, in New York, in Seattle, in Tennessee, everywhere. People who love Even in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Even in Hollywood. But, I mean, there are still a lot of country fans in rural America. And, you know, I think a surprising thing that people don't think about a lot is that access to really reliable broadband and Wi-Fi is still a problem in a lot of rural America. Mm And, you know, it's the same reason why you see a lot of people turning to, you know, kind of radical conservative hosts on talk radio, you know, through their AM stations. It's accessible. Mm -hmm. That's why you get some like, well, why sometimes I'll bring up sort of like wonky issues, you know, in terms of like widening broadband access and stuff like that when it comes to how to solve this problem. Because if all you can get is, you know, country radio in your car and your 40 minute hour long drive to your job or wherever or out and you know working out in the field or wherever you are that's what you're going to yeah. listen to and it's you know if you can't get a good you know serious xm or you can't you know get the signal to get spotify or you don't want to afford it um it's accessibility a lot of times all you got in the old pickup is the am fm radio mm-hmm. Coming up, we hear some of Marissa's favorite songs from female country artists. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we're back. This week we're talking with author Marissa Moss about her new book, Her Country. Let's get back to the conversation. The problem with writing a great piece of investigative reporting, as Marissa has done, is that they forget you're also a music lover and a music critic. I know about this, right? Um, give us a tune by each of the three core artists you focus on and tell us what inspired you about the song and, and about the artist. I love that question because a, a lot of folks have asked me why I picked these three. And there are a lot of reasons I have and I did. And But at the end of the day, I love their music. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of these artists and a fan of country music and Sometimes when I'll run a story, people will like come onto my Twitter or send me emails or whatever, being like, why do you hate country music so much? You know, they'll think that me criticizing the industry or certain artists be like, you hate it. Like, you know, go back to where Mm -hmm. you came from. You clearly hate country music. And it's always funny to me because why the hell would I do Mm -hmm. this if I didn't love it? Like, I don't fight for things that I don't care about. You know, I hate cream cheese so much and like if it exploded off the earth tomorrow i would not care like i wouldn't fight for it to exist anymore right you want it you want this genre to be all that it should be and can be yeah because i love it like i mean 
that's why I stick around time and time after again, you know, why I'm here. Yeah, so Maren Morris, just tell us a little bit about her. Let's start with Maren. And uh, we've reviewed her on the show. Um, but uh, but for those who don't know, Maren Morris, and give us a tune that inspires you. Yeah, so Maren is from Texas. Started out singing when she was really young, you know, around eight or so. And teeny little girl with a giant-ass yeah, guitar yeah. playing in, like, honky-tonks and dance halls in Texas. Found some incredible pictures of her, literally with, like, guitars, like, twice the size, yeah. of, you know, that she is with, you know band full of dudes behind her um and came to nashville um about 10 years ago i remember when she came to town there was kind of this like just i guess that star factor that just kind of immediately jumped out in her writing uh you hear those whispers you know hmm. about about people and i kind of immediately heard that about Marin because she's such a strong writer. She's an incredible singer, um, but she's also just a strong writer and just so unique kind of in her identity. Mm -hmm. The first song that I heard from Marin actually wasn't My Church, which was her breakthrough mm -hmm. song. Um, the first song that I heard from Marin was a song called Loose Change that ended up making it onto the High Women yeah, record. Yeah. Her super group band with Amanda Shires, Brandi Carlisle, and Natalie Hemby. To make me feel like a million bucks And now you got me feeling like Loose change I ain't worth a thing to you Loose change You don't see my value I'm gonna be somebody's Lucky penny someday Instead of rolling around in your pocket Like loose change And that one I always go back to Because it was that first moment you know where i just was kind of gobsmacked by her talent and i was so happy when i heard that it was making the high women mm -hmm. record um this actually like sounds like a humble brag but i was in the studio watching the high women doing some recording and dave cobb was there the producer of the record and he told me that it was on there and i think i literally like welled up mm. i was so excited i don't know it's just some really genius writing yeah it's a great song great well so as unique as Mar marin is mickey guyton even more unique. Yeah, she's, and uh, Mickey Guyton, same, you know, came from Texas, moved to Nashville around 10 years ago. Um, you know, Mickey was not, you know, in, in bands growing up. She sung in church. Um, and she moved out to LA for a while because she felt like she wasn't, you know, country music wasn't a place for a black woman. But she grew up, you know, loving Leanne Rimes and Dolly Parton. Um, and her sound, I think, is is so interesting to look at in the context of the other two because it's very, I think it could exist alongside, you know, Carrie Underwood on country radio. It's, you know, powerhouse vocals, you know, appeals to a mainstream or a pop country fan. But on her album that just came out last year, I've lost track of time, I think it was last year, um, you know, really pushed the limits of songwriting and you know, her own sort of activism in place um, and agency is, is a black woman in country music. And I saw her sing this song, What Are You Gonna Tell Her at the Ryman during a country radio seminar showcase about like a month before the COVID mm. shutdown. And this was after, you know, she had been in Nashville for almost a decade and feeling like nothing was ever gonna happen for her. Um, and she sung this song, What Are You Gonna Tell Her about sort of, you know, 
the lyric is, what are you going to tell her when she's wrong? You know, this little girl with dreams that she can be anything and realizing that, you know, she might be wrong uh, because this country still hasn't changed mm. enough. Um, and she sung this to a group of, you know, 90% white male radio programmers, you know, fearless. sitting there just kind of like yeah. fearless. She thinks love is love. And if you work hard, that's enough. Skin's just skin and it doesn't matter. And that her friend's older brother's gonna keep his hands to himself. And that somebody's gonna believe her when she tells. But what are you gonna tell her when she's wrong? Will you just try and say it's been that way all along? Knowing that they would never play it, knowing that it would maybe dig her an even deeper hole away from where she wanted to go, and she didn't care. She just and belted it beautifully. I mean, her voice is stunning, especially live. You know, you just hear all, you know, little choices that she makes that are really beautiful. And the most incredible thing was sort of watching her kind of lean into that truth and the COVID quarantine and, you know, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, just kind of speaking her truth yeah. and writing songs about mm -hmm. it. And and still, you know, she hasn't been played on country radio. She's sang at the freaking Super Bowl and they still wouldn't add her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, still, you know, finding finding fans her own way. Too controversial. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, Casey Musgraves won album of the year uh, from the Grammys, even though her record really wasn't embraced by country radio, right? I mean, what happened? How do you explain her rise and what, what initially uh, attracted you to her? Yeah, Casey... Um, it was a similar kind of thing with Marin that I was hearing, you know, chatter about Casey around in, I guess it was like 2012, right around when I moved to Nashville. My husband went to that same, he was working in music publishing at the time. He went to the same CRS country radio seminar showcase at the Ryman in 2012 and saw her sing Mary, Mary go round. And uh, he immediately came out and called me. And he was almost like a little choked up. Like he was very like just kind of stunned, but we didn't what he had seen. And it don't matter if you don't believe come Sunday morning, you best be there in the front row like you're supposed to. Same hurt in every heart. Same trailer, different park. Mama's hooked on me. And she came out, you know, she sung this song kind of criticizing, you know, apathy and small town life as her, a, a slow tempo song um, as her first single, mm. you know, as a woman in country music at the time of Florida Georgia Line and Jason Aldean, like party bus or yeah. whatever, <laughs> White Claw song. Um, <laughs> and that's- I never wanted <laughs> to think about that song again. Thank uh, you, Marissa. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, you know, that's just, it's so bold. All the choices that she made yeah. were so bold. And so, I mean, she's just an incredible writer and singer and, um, and kept, you know, her next album, I feel like is kind of a little bit underappreciated pageant material. It's just like a, this really like relaxed, a little bit country politan, a little bit stone, mm -hmm. like kind of this like a, 
you know, 20s kind of apathy, like, but in the context of country music, it's so beautiful to me. And then she had a Christmas album in between the two, which is freaking awesome. And I'm, you know, a Jew from New York. <laughs> I like, you know, I love that album. Um, Usually the sign of creative then, bankruptcy when somebody puts out the, yeah, the Christmas no, album. This one's amazing. It's so good. Um, you know, it has originals, yeah. like great original country, you know, country Christmas originals. Love it. Um, and then she came out with Golden Hour and won album of the year, <laughs> which Nashville should have been like puffing up its like peacock feathers yeah. about, you know, yeah. like, but instead they were like, oh, we don't like think she, you know, the programmers like, we don't think she's friendly enough or whatever. So we're still not going to play her songs. <laughs> She just does whatever she feels is creatively uh, enriching and right to her at the moment. You know, I love traditional country music and I love I love the tradition, the genre stuff. I don't worry too much about, mm-hmm. you know, genre is kind of a marketing term to me. Yeah. So I don't really know whether her current album is country or not country. But I know that much less country people that were men were able to put out music and exist in the country space while we got kind of mad about Casey Musgraves yeah, doing it. That's for so, sure. That's all I know. Well, as, as strong a critic as she is investigative reporter, uh, Marissa Moss, what a fantastic book. What an inspiring book. Thank you for highlighting those artists for us. Let's try to end on an optimistic note. I don't know if we have one. <laughs> um, even, even if broadband and the delay uh, of of much of rural America is you know still pumping up radio right. The major label system is dying. You know Nashville as an industry is not going to exist that much longer. Is there hope for the future? You know in terms of artists uh, breaking away from this restrictive good old boy network, as you say. Yes, I think there is. Um... I think that's the only way that you can keep going is to find that hope. And there are artists now that are, they're banded together with one another for yeah. one to kind of form this, Alison Russell described as like this, the rainbow coalition, you know, just mm. banding together to create something new. You know, you have the Black Opry, this touring review of black country artists, and you have, you know, women, and non-binary folks, you know, making their own templates for how to succeed in country music and who gets to own the idea of country music. Yeah. And that's really exciting to me and that keeps me optimistic. And And I know there's a lot to be angry about and I get angry a lot and the book is angry at times. But when I need to feel optimistic, I just put on a record. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds dorky, and but I mean, that's it. I mean, I, you know, I put on a record that I'm into or an old one that I loved and and that that's the only thing that helps. I think the three artists you cited and, and followed, uh, you know, for the last 10 years in terms of how they developed and how they broke through are an example of women who are coloring outside the very narrow boundaries of what country is, is supposed to be, right? Uh, and, and expanding mm-hmm. the, the genre by expanding the idea that people who aren't exactly like this formula are worth listening to as well. So it seems like, even though we were talking about an industry being this incredibly conservative industry, these women have found a way to operate outside of those boundaries and like make the, 
make the machine bend to them a little bit. I mean, is that too too optimistic? Are we going to have another? Is it going to be like 2005 again, where after this rush of vital women performers, we're going to see a, a backlash and it's going to all, that, that all fold up again? That, that can't happen again, Greg. You wrote the book about about the death of that old school music industry. Yeah. That that doesn't exist anymore. I wish anymore. I killed it. I wish it was buried. You know, Taylor Swift uh, accepted. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's still Jason Aldean getting number one over and over again. Yeah. So that part is existing and will continue to exist and is not going to change. And, uh, you know, as you said, like, you know, the, the infrastructure in Nashville will eventually dismantle out of refusal to uh, embrace the future, the future yeah. <laughs> or the right. present. Yeah. Um, and, you know, women will just keep making mm -hmm. music and, and finding their audience. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish it were easier and I wish that women that wanted the same tools that, you know, the Jakes and the Lukes and the Blakes could have, you know, they should have those available to them if they want to use them, but they're also finding a way to do it without any of that stuff. Country music, the good stuff, the new Country punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> Not for another way. The old punk well, rock. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the synergies, even across genres, uh, Brandy Carlisle sitting down and giving us uh, Joni Mitchell, right? Yeah, man. I still have, I haven't, like, fully been able to watch all that yet. It's like a little, yeah. it's, it, it's a little it, too it much. Is, it is, <laughs> it is. It makes me verklempt, yeah. We've been talking to Marissa Moss, uh, author of this fantastic and very important new book, Her Country, How the Women of Country Music Became the Success They Were Never Supposed to Be, at least according to the good old boys, but mm. screw them, says Marissa and Jim and Gray. Thank <laughs> you, Marissa, for coming on Sound Opinions. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Don't want to be a part of That wraps up our chat with Marissa Moss, and now we want to hear from you. Who are your favorite women making country music today? If you want to let us know your opinions, leave a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. We'd love to share your thoughts on the air, like these listeners' comments on recent episodes. New messages. Hello, Jim and Greg. This is Chris from Sandwich, Illinois. Just wanted to call to say my opinion of the new Dawes, The Misadventures of the Doom Scroller, is a pure masterpiece from Dawes. I cannot believe the three listens I've had already. Just never heard a band playing so live, so together, so feeling good. And I'm feeling great tonight. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, Jim. Hey, Greg. This is Ethan. Coming to you from New Jersey, a great music documentary that comes to my mind is It Might Get Loud uh, with Jimmy Page, The Edge, and Jack White. I think it's a great documentary because it showcases how they created their signature sound. And all in all, just really cool to see a couple of legends. My pick for a hero song is Jack of Spades by Boogie Down Productions that was made for the movie I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and was on the album Get On Music, The Blueprint of Hip Hop. This song is literally about a movie hero character, but it's what makes Jack Spade a hero that is so important. You seem to think that everybody can be taught, that everyone else can be bought, but 
you took a short, cause one guy hasn't been paid. He is the jack of spades. Jack, 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 it was great breaking out the sound to listen to the song. It's been a while. It was a bit sad to realize how relevant so much of the sound is today, 33 years later. But that also speaks to how smart this album was back in 1989 when it came out. Hello, Sound Opinions people. This is George. I'm uh, thinking about songs about the sea. Sinead Lohan, Diving to be Deeper, as well as OMD, Sailing on the Seven Seas. A little more pop sensibility on them, but pretty good tunes. Thank you. Hello, Sound Opinions. This is Rory in Oakland. Uh, thanks for the show on films. That was really good. Inspired me to think about a film that I would like to see made if I had $120 million, which is one on the UFO Club. That was the underground club in London that uh, brought us Pink Floyd, Fairport Convention, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown, Jimi Hendrix. Um, many more got their start in that one-year span of time that that club was operating. Uh, I think it would be a, a crazy movie to, to do, and uh, you can do a lot of crazy things with it. I would love to see that as a big feature film um, that is made. So that is my idea for a film. Hopefully somebody that uh, has influence uh, is hearing this message, and go do it. All right. Thanks. No more messages. Thanks again to everyone who left us a message. It's always great to hear from our listeners. Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to unearth some buried treasures. Ah. Music flying under the mainstream radar that we think you need to hear. And uh, don't forget to check out our bonus podcast feed for new additions to the Desert Island Jukebox. Always good stuff, Greg. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our Columbia College intern is Lauren Holt, and our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Katie Cott.